0: Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen assured the public last weekend that growing fears of rising inflation are misplaced. Is this true? What is inflation? Why does this matter for the working class? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality. There's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are joined once again by Professor Richard Wolff. He talks to us every Wednesday in our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class and the crimes of big business. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week, thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate everyone's support and encourage you, if you're not yet, to become a patron today, especially if you enjoy listening to the show, rely on its content. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The sickness is the system when capitalism fails to save us from pandemics or itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com and rdwolff.com is the spelling. Professor Wolf, welcome back.
1: Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here.
0: Thank you for joining. In today's show, we're going to focus on inflation. Inflation is when the prices people pay for things, goods, or services goes up. Inflation is when prices are rising, and deflation is when prices are dropping. In the last few weeks, the prices for gasoline have gone up substantially, but they are still lower than the price of gasoline, say, 10 years ago. At that time, the price of crude oil was about $110 per barrel. And then within a few years, the price of a barrel of crude oil dropped by almost 80%. Gasoline is a derivative product from oil. Oil prices fluctuate greatly, but what about other commodities, food, clothing, rent, housing prices? Professor Wolf, why do prices go up? Why do they go down? Is the danger, the threat of inflation as it's being proclaimed on MarketWatch and other financially-based news outlets, is it real? Is it going to happen?
1: Okay. Here's the problem with inflation. There are always many different reasons why an inflation breaks out, or for that matter, a deflation, the opposite. It is never one or two things. But other than the simple story I've just given you. Inflation is used as a scare tactic. In this way, it's quite like deficits. A few years ago, the Republicans and conservatives tried to block raising taxes on wealthy people and corporations to provide social services, by yelling and screaming and jumping up and down and getting Market Watch to write articles about the dangers of deficits. What they're doing now with inflation is exactly the same thing. It's not really a concern about inflation for reasons I'll explain in a minute, it's an attempt to block what they don't want to pass the Congress, what they don't want the president to sign. They cannot say what the real reason is, which is protecting their donors, what they get paid by the donors to do. They don't want to pay taxes. They don't want the government to spend money, particularly not on folks other than themselves. And so they yell and scream about how it's going to cause inflation as if they knew that an inflation was coming. They don't. Nobody does. If I stood here and told you it was definitely coming. It would be as actually as empty as if I told you the obverse, that I know for sure it isn't coming. Unfortunately, the political discourse in our nation is so crude and so simple-minded that you have the right wing saying, oh, gee, it's coming, it's terrible, and then Janet Yellen and people in the center-left feel the need to assure everybody it isn't. My advice, don't pay any attention to any of that. We don't No. Having said that, here are some of the things that might cause an inflation. For example, the Federal Reserve, our central bank, has been pumping money into the economy like never before in our history for the entire 21st century. These 20 last years have seen an amount of money created and poured into the economy by the government through the central bank, the Federal Reserve beyond anything we've ever seen. If that money, and here's the big if here, if that money were to begin to be used to buy goods and services, by all means, that would be more than enough to start bidding up the prices of everything as folks with money chased goods, which have not increased anywhere near as much as the money has, and then you would get a classic inflation. But of course, that didn't happen over these last 20 years. Why not? There are basically two reasons. The wealthy who collect most of this money into their own hands, and particularly in the last 20 years, have decided to do two things with that money other than using it to buy goods and services. The first thing they did is accumulate a level of savings that we've never seen before. When you put money in the hands of the super rich, you are, in fact, inviting them to save money because they're super rich. They already spend on their homes and their yachts and their mansions and everything else pretty much what they want. You know, if you have eight houses, buying a ninth house doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. So they've been saving record amounts of money. And the second thing they did with the extra money pumped in was to focus on the stock market, to speculate, to go in and buy shares from one another, bid up the prices, sell the shares they bought at one price at a higher price, pocket the different, and go back in and spend it all again. And therefore, we've had an inflation in the stock market. It has zoomed up. But since 10% of our people own 80% of the stock, that's been good news for the top 10%, not for the rest of us. And so that's why we have not yet had the inflation that that extra money might easily have produced. And of course, it means that what was true remains true. If the extra money, and by the way, the Federal Reserve is, as I speak, pumping more and more money in, it's so frightened of what would happen if it didn't, that it is at any time possible that this mountain of money will change, stop being saved, perhaps stop going into the stock market, and be used instead to bid for goods and services, buildings, real estate, land, you name it in which case we could have an inflation. So someone who tells you, oh, don't worry, we won't, is as silly as someone who tells you, oh, you should worry, we will. Neither of them knows, and this is about stopping other things. Last point, there is another way an inflation can happen. Remember I said there were many. It is possible for an inflation to happen, not because extra money is looking to buy goods and services, but because the prices of goods and services for other reasons go up. Here's an example. The pandemic, the global scourge of COVID-19, has interrupted all kinds of production because people are sick, because people are afraid to get together to work with one another because the infections are spreading. Ships can't go the way they used to. The airlines are all parked on the runways. And so it becomes difficult to get all kinds of goods and services. And when that happens, people with money bid up. They don't want to be the ones left out when goods become scarce because of the virus. And so they offer more money so that they're the ones who get it. That's how markets work. And that extra rising price of these scarce goods then causes everybody who has to buy them to raise his or her prices to recover the extra costs that they have in buying those kinds of things. That can lead to a process of rising prices as well. And then finally, you have a whole raft of other things. If, for example, there were to be a real war in the Middle East, Not the horrible kinds of events in Yemen uh, or in Bahrain or in some of the other places there that are limited in scope. But if you begin to have a large scale military conflagration in that part of the world, then you're going to start interfering with oil. And oil, when it becomes scarce, will be competed for by people with money who will bid up the price. And since oil is used in making fertilizer, in making electricity, in making gasoline, as you pointed out, and many other crucial products, plastics and so on, a rise in the price of oil coming out of a political or military conflict is yet another way that an inflation can occur. That's why it's important to understand when you see all the different ways that an inflation can occur, and then you hear some politician assuring you that he or she knows they won't occur or that they will occur, you should ask yourself the question, what are they really after? Because this predicting of the future is not to be taken seriously.
0: Very, very helpful. Thank you, Professor Wolf. In the 1970s, and starting maybe even in the late 1960s, but certainly the 1970s, 50 years ago, or depending on what part of the decade you're in, 40 years ago, but we had a huge inflation. And in 1971, Richard Nixon, then President of the United States, carried out what was referred to as Nixon's Shock meaning that the United States froze or attempted to freeze prices. The government froze prices and also imposed a wage freeze. Now, of course, the bosses and the corporate owners, the employers were certainly very able and willing to implement the wage freeze. I can remember the prices in spite of the price freeze, there was no great enforcer there and prices continued to go up. But the government itself intervened and declared a freeze on wages, wage hikes or price increases. At the same time, Nixon basically took the United States off the gold standard, meaning that the US dollar, which could be up until then and following the Bretton Woods conference in 1944, convertible to gold. So you could take your dollars and get gold in exchange, or that was the concept of convertibility. That ended too, and Nixon said it would be a temporary measure that soon the United States would return to the gold standard once inflation was under control. But inflation kept going and going and going. And at the same time, inflation made it easier to pay back your loans, so the bankers didn't like inflation. Inflation also stimulated a lot of labor organizing. I myself was an organizer, a worker organizer at that time. And I can tell you from direct experience, I worked organizing low-paid, minimum wage workers in the basements of Madison Avenue, the people who really made Madison Avenue run, all of whom were these low-paid clerical staffs that were involved in market research. Our pay was stuck. Our pay was frozen, and it was just above minimum wage. But then prices went up, but also the New York City metro subway system increased the fare. And of course, we took the subway every day to come to work. So the cost of coming to work increased, but the wages we received stayed the same. That became the basis for a very, very large scale organizing drive that we conducted, a unionization drive under the auspices of District 65, which had become aligned with the United Auto Workers. So it stimulated the class struggle in a way, the trade union struggle, because workers could see prices were going up, lots of people were making lots of money, but wages were stuck. And that wasn't just where I was on Madison Avenue. That was in auto and steel and aluminum and rubber. There was lots of, that was a strike wave. But what caused, what are the different factors, and you said there were multiple factors that were responsible for this huge spike in inflation in the 70s, something which hasn't really been reproduced in the United States since then?
1: Well, in the case of the 1970s, and there really a host of issues that your commentary just now really raises, and they're important ones. In the 1970s, you had a number of factors that began to play a role. First of all, it is very important to remember that the United States was fighting a war, the war in Vietnam, which started in the 60s and went all the way into the middle of the 1970s. And that war became increasingly unpopular in the United States as it progressed. And that put the government in a very strange pickle. Uh, It wanted to pursue the war a war started by Kennedy and then pursued by Johnson and so on, and eventually Nixon as well. They didn't want the war to be paid for by taxes. They understood correctly that as the war became more and more unpopular, as millions, particularly of young people, protested the war, refused to go into the army, burnt their draft cards, went to Canada, and all the rest, that if the government dared not only to pursue an unpopular war, but to raise taxes on the people to pay for the war they didn't want, then this opposition to the war would bring it to an end, which by the way, it did a little bit later, about 1974 and 75. So what the government did was not raise taxes, not provoke that kind of opposition. Instead, it went into the economy and borrowed the money. Paid for this unpopular war by borrowing money, mostly from corporations and rich people. Nobody else lends significant money to the government. And what happened was the government started using the money it borrowed to buy all kinds of materials for the war. But those are consumer goods, you know, uniforms for soldiers, guns and ships and planes and bullets and all the rest of it. And that bid up the prices of those things, and so, in a way, you had a pretty direct link between the way the war was financed and one of these ways that an inflation can get going. And this was understood by Mr. Nixon in 1971, and he did something that's very important for your audience, our audience, here to understand. If you need to finance a war with borrowing, which is what Nixon, like Johnson and Kennedy, wanted to do for fear of what the American people would do if they were told it was going to cost you thousands of dollars to pay for a war that risks your children's lives and that you don't believe in anyway, if you're going to do this by borrowing money, well, then you're going to have this problem of inflation. And it began to really kick in in 1969 and 70, and again into 71. So here's what President Nixon do. And let's remember, he was a Republican conservative who is supposed to believe, we are told, in laissez-faire, that is, that the government should not intervene in the economy uh, because that makes for inefficiency and all the rest of it. Here, this conservative president realized he was stuck. He couldn't risk taxing the people, so he had to borrow. But the borrowing risk an inflation, and he couldn't risk that either. So he found a solution which required him to throw his conservative economic principles right out the window, rather like Trump did when his conservative Republican administration imposed trade wars, tariffs, and all kinds of things that conservatives typically don't believe in. Here's what he did. He announced on August 15th of 1971, He announced that as of the next morning, he gave this talk in the evening, as of the next morning, he decreed a wage price freeze. Here's what it meant. If starting the following morning, that would be the 16th of August, 1971, if any business raised their price, the government would arrest the leaders of that business and put them in jail. If you want to stop an inflation, this is a very easy way to get that job done. No mystery, no complication. You announce that you simultaneously, because of course, you cannot do that to businesses without doing it to the workers, not in a capitalist country like ours. So it was a wage and a price freeze. Now, it's easy to enforce a wage freeze because every employer can now go to his or her workers and say, gee, I'd love to give you a wage increase, but you see, my hands are tied. The government made it a crime. So the enforcement on the wage level, quick, easy, automatic. It's not the case with the prices because the government had to do the enforcing. But here's the thing for everyone to know. The price wage freeze lasted almost a year. And during that time, the inflation came down to next to nothing. Yes, there were exemptions. There were people who evaded it in various ways, but they brought it down dramatically. If you want not to see prices rise, that's what you do. In other countries, it's called an incomes policy because what it does is it freezes what the wages get for working people and what the companies can get in profits for themselves. It has been used many times in many countries around the world before and after what Mr. Nixon did, but it is one way to control an inflation businesses don't like it because they want to be free to jack up the prices of what they sell every chance they get and they don't want to be hampered by the government so they worked hard to get mr nixon to relieve them from this burden and they were able to do it in under a year but for that period of time the inflation that we're all supposed to be so worried about was in fact brought under control And of course, it could be again, whether the pressure comes from business or the pressure comes from the working class or the pressure comes from a contradiction the government faces, which is why it happened in 1971.
0: And then after Nixon lifted the freeze, prices did take off. Yep. Interest rates went way up. You know, I had my... I think my first certificate of deposit, I got some money, like not much because I've never had much, but some money. And I got a certificate of deposit and the interest payment was like 13 or 14%. And you know, when you look at what you get now, it's like a half a percent or 0%. So you're almost paying the bank so that you can park your money at a bank if you want to have some savings but inflation took off again. And then there were political factors too. In 1973, after the 1973 Mideast War between Israel and some of the Arab countries, the pressure even on American puppet governments, the revolutionary or radical pressure was so great that even Saudi Arabia declared an oil boycott. And as you will remember, Richard, gasoline prices spiked and the shortage of gasoline was such that there was rationing of gasoline. So if your license ended with an even number, you could go to a gas station on one day. If it ended with an odd number, you could go the next day. Long, long, long lines to get just a couple of gallons of gas. That's when the whole anti-Arab hysteria reached a peak where pictures of Arab shecks holding Americans hostage at the gas pump became like the front page of Time Newsweek. A very profound moment in American politics And that sort of lasted through the decade. And then Paul Volcker came in as the head of the Federal Reserve. And Volcker initiated a depression or a a recession, whatever one wants to call it. But in order to, quote, tame inflation, and this is when the last time we really see prolonged sustained inflation in the United States, Volcker, in essence, crashed the economy with the goal of well, reorganizing inflation such that it came to an end. It was a period where tens of millions of workers lost their jobs. Also, when we got Ronald Reagan, somebody who I would have thought never in a thousand years could become president of the United States, suddenly was the president in 1980. Anyway, let's just talk about what Volcker did and the impact in the politics of that anti-inflation fight.
1: Right. Once the wage price freeze was lifted by President Nixon, You're right. The businesses were angry. They had been unable to raise prices before. There was still the Vietnam War going on. It did not end until 1975, people should remember. And yes, you had the OPEC formation, the oil countries that had been sending oil at unbelievably low prices. Let's remember, the way oil was organized, particularly in the Middle East, was designed to make oil the basic energy source so that the oil companies would have the rest of us under their control because we needed the oil to heat our homes, to run our automobiles, and so on. And in order to get that to happen, they had to make the oil cheap. And so they cut a deal with a few families in the Middle East, and I really mean a few families, The government of the United States set these families up as governments, so they had wildly rich because they were given a nice cut of this oil business, but they presided over countries that were abysmally poor. Because the mass of the work was done by underpaid people, both local people from those countries, and when there weren't enough of them, vast armies of immigrants from Asia and Africa who went to work in the oil business there at ridiculously low wages. And so finally, there was a pressure by these families to get a bigger cut. And so the oil company said, okay, if we have to give you a bigger cut, we're going to jack up the price. And so between the government borrowing money and pumping money into the economy, as I explained before, and now the pressure from the oil from below, you could see how an inflation would begin to get going as it did across the 1970s. And it's always lagging for workers to catch up. Yes, there were strikes as workers began to realize that if the prices go up and your wages don't, or they go up less, you're basically being hurt. Your standard of living is being cut. I mean, let me give you an example from right now. The statistics indicate that food prices in the United States over the last 12 months have gone up, depending on how you count, between 3 and 4%. Well, since the minimum wage didn't go up over the last year and since most people's wages went down or were flat, Everybody has taken a hit because the food, and of course, the poorer you are, the more of your money you spend on food, the cost of food has gotten up. It's as if the mass of people had been taxed on their food. It's a terrible problem and makes the failure of the Biden administration to pass the rising minimum wage even uglier than it already was, given what is happening to food. And so Mr. Fed, as he was called, came in and yes, as you say, raised interest rates astronomically high. That shut the economy down quickly because businesses couldn't borrow at that high interest rate. So they shut down or they cut back on their activities, laid off large numbers of workers. It really upset the American people very badly. That's part of the reason Mr. Reagan was voted into office because people thought he would make a difference, big mistake, but they thought it. The way conservatives take advantage of these situations is a remarkable part of American history. But he overdid it, and the result was recession, a bad recession, a lot of suffering, took workers a long time to catch up. They never really did. Workers' wages have lagged prices for a good 40 years now, from at least 1980 to now, which is 40 years, and that's why the wealth and income in this country have been redistributed from the bottom and the middle to those at the top, because the bottom and the middle saw their job opportunities disappear as the computer replaced them on the job, saw their jobs disappear as capitalists went overseas, particularly to China, to pay lower wages, and the prices of things kept going up, and their wages went nowhere. You didn't need an inflation in those years to make more and more profits for company because they were getting the advantage of automation, of jobs abroad, and of stagnant wages for the American working class, which was literally being fleeced, which is one of the major reasons why we have the level of discontent, upset, anger, bitter, social division, and a growing criticism of capitalism, because it's the logical endpoint of where this whole development
0: took us. Professor Wolf, time is running short. I want to just follow up on this. I think this is such an important point that Paul Volcker comes in as Federal Reserve Chief during the Carter years. This was in 1979. Deliberately deliberately raises interest rates such that it would crash the economy. If interest rates are so high, businesses can't borrow money. They start to contract their businesses. They lay off workers. Workers lose income. Workers thus have less money to buy other things with. The ripple effect goes through the economy. It generalizes into a recession. Millions of people lose their jobs. And then those same corporations, at the same time, the same corporations uh, decide, well, look, we can actually even make more money by going to China or going to Taiwan or going to Mexico because of globalization, because of the new technologies, we can produce products in countries thousands of miles away at super, super low wages, transport them back to Western countries and still make extra profits. So you have the US government contracting the economy, then corporations offshoring jobs, and then the working class, which no longer has jobs and higher unemployment is competing with itself for fewer and fewer decent paying jobs, which means that as workers compete with each other and the only thing they're selling is their ability to labor, the price of that commodity of labor power goes down because the supply is greater than the demand, because the demand has been diminished because jobs have been sent overseas. I mean, when you think of it in that way, you can't but come to the conclusion that in the name of fighting inflation, what really happened is that the American capitalist class and its government agencies, including the Federal Reserve, in essence, solved the inflation problem by declaring an unofficial but very real war against the American people, or at least vast parts of them that work for a living.
1: Absolutely. That's the history then, but I don't mean to change the topic, but it's the history now. Every poll, and I've really looked at it, every poll indicates that a vast majority of the American people, including Republicans, just like Democrats, believe that the minimum wage is too low and that it should be raised at least to the $15 and actually more. An overwhelming majority. And we just saw the two parties that monopolize American politics get together and agree not to raise the minimum wage. I mean, what's going on is simple. Large numbers of corporations don't want to pay more wages. That's it. And they lean on their political representatives, and I mean their political representatives, And tell them, you're not going to raise that wage, and if you do, we will support whoever runs against you in the next election, and you won't be there anymore. Do you understand us? Yes, nod the Republicans and the Democrats in huge numbers, more than enough. And so the vast majority of Americans, Democrats, but also Republicans, want what they don't get. And they get what they don't want. And that's because the people who run the political system are in a position to dictate and don't care about the impact on the mass of people. They didn't care what the impact was of the anti-inflationary so-called policy of Paul Volcker. And they don't care now about the great reset of the government we're supposed to believe that the Biden administration represents. There it is. I mean, it's as naked as you want. But again, let me underscore, the arguments today are as empty as they were back then. Scaring people with deficits, scaring people with inflationary predictions as if you knew, as if you could control all of this, whether or not it happens. It's really a kind of game that people should understand is being played on them and at their expense.
0: Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He is the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out his work at rdwolf.com, and that's rdwolf You've been listening to The Socialist Program. Stay with us and we'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners.